Hello, and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast Pitchfest 2020 series. I'm Nick Shirelli. Thanks for joining me. Late last year, OIO ran the Ocean Impact Pitchfest 2020. We were inundated with almost 200 applications from 38 countries and were blown away by the incredible breadth and quality of ideas and ventures that applied, all trying to make a positive impact on planet Ocean. Over the course of this Pitchfest 2020 series of the Ocean Impact podcast, we'll dive into the challenge and opportunity areas that each of the finalists are working on, find out about their unique solution, and discuss the key challenges and learnings they've encountered on their journey so far. We'll also discuss their why, their motivation for working towards a healthy ocean, what the road ahead looks like for them and how you, the listener, might be able to support their journey. This week, I'm talking to Tom Burbeck, who's the co-founder of UK-based startup Arc Marine. Arc Marine was established in 2015 with a mission to accelerate reef conservation across the world. Did you know that offshore developments such as wind turbines and undersea pipelines require a range of subsea structures to minimise and prevent damage to the seabed? At the end of a project's lifetime, these subsea structures are required to be removed, which is an extremely costly and potentially destructive process. To give you an idea of the enormity of this challenge, there are an estimated 80,000 concrete subsea mats in the North Sea alone. These mats are used to anchor heavy infrastructure to the seafloor. The removal of these concrete mats is around 11,000 British pounds each. Well, Arc Marine have developed carbon neutral building blocks called reef cubes that are far superior to existing traditional concrete and plastic alternatives and can remain in place at the end of an offshore project's life. These have the potential to save significant remediation costs and create artificial habitats and protection for marine biodiversity, turning something that was otherwise ugly and lifeless into thriving underwater ecosystems. Utilising virtual reality, 3D design and biotechnologies, Arc Marine are disrupting the offshore construction industries and accelerating reef creation through its nature-inclusive designs. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Tom Burbeck on the Ocean Impact Podcast, Pitchfest 2020 series. Hi, we have Tom Burbeck, co-founder from Arc Marine, with us today on the Ocean Impact Podcast, Pitchfest 2020, Meet the Finalist Series. Hi, Tom. Hi, how you doing? Pretty well, thank you. Um, tell me, what time is it? Where are you? So I'm based in the UK, uh, southwest coast, small town called Torbay, and it's 20 part, oh, no, it's half past nine at night. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us, Tom. It's um, it's been exciting um, finding out a little bit about Arc Marine after you placed third in the um, Pitchfest 2020. And it's great to have you here today to let our, our listeners know a little bit more about Arc Marine and, and what you're doing. So, look, let's get straight into it. Tell us, take a few moments to tell us about Arc Marine um, tell us about this vision that you have to accelerate reef creation around the world and give, give us some insight into the scale of the, of the opportunity that you're pursuing. 
Yeah, great. Um, so Art Marine founded in 2015 by myself and co-founder James and a, a bunch of recreational passionate divers, really. And our main vision and goal was to accelerate reach creation. So we set up a eco engineering company, um, a new sort of uh, era generation of company that thought, well, how can we integrate man-made infrastructure, offshore construction projects with habitat restoration on an unprecedented scale? So, you know, as most divers, we love diving shipwrecks. We love diving uh, natural reefs and man-made reefs. And we thought, how do we splice the two together for the benefit of the environment and for the benefit of mankind? And it quickly came apparent about offshore energy devices, particularly offshore wind and the big renewables push. So where we see that there's going to be huge amounts of gigawatt planned in the future, we just saw this as a perfect opportunity to combine subsea protection, so cable protection and foundations around monopiles, um, as an opportunity to build reefs at the same time as protecting those offshore assets. So we don't think there's ever been a time in history where you could have a level of marine conservation happening around a, a privately paying client, which has always sort of been the pitfall where marine conservation has has relied on um, philanthropic investors or one-off government grants. We see this as a massive joined-on approach, a massive uh, coordinated effort really by the world, um, by some of the biggest companies in the world to restore um, natural reef systems. Fantastic. And, and tell us about... Um... Tell us about the technology. Tell us about reef cubes, the um, the approach you've taken to this concrete uh, product, if you like. Yes. So quite early on, we 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 tried to buy a ship. We looked at buying helicopters. All the sort of uh, uh, structures of of opportunity that come up, which is what's been done in the past. And we quickly realised that you know if we wanted to do something scalable, if we wanted to give. Um, multiple people around the world the same opportunity to restore reef ecosystems we had to come up with a universal tool something that could be transferred around the world something that could be transported easily something that used local recycled materials so we weren't having virgin materials being made particularly um, for reefs because it just sounded counterproductive it just didn't make sense so we started looking at concrete, um, looking at what opportunities there were in that space because it was an easily available material and it was easily moldable to different shapes. And we we saw that there was a huge amount of CO2 um, emissions that's attributed to the Portland cement element. So we thought, well, okay, so we've got concrete as a right material. How do we replace the Portland cement so we don't have that carbon footprint? So for the past five years, we've been developing reef cubes um, and our, our novel innovative marine concrete which is basically a Portland cement replacement. So Reef Cubes is a precast concrete unit. As you can imagine, most precasts, it's used mold, it's made using a molding system, which is patented by Art Marine. And what that means is that we can make Reef Cubes from any size, from 15 centimeters up to 1.5 meters, weighing anything from 15 kilos up to 5.2 tons. So we've got a range of applications that we can use them for, and we can put cubes inside cubes for greater complexity. So what we've done is we've managed to drive down the CO2 footprint. So we've got about a 90% saving compared to normal Portland cement. And at the moment, we've actually managed to get to carbon neutrality. So we're working on some life cycle assessments with the University of Exeter. But we do believe from the point of manufacture, Reef Cube's now a carbon neutral um, product, which, which means for the first time again in history, we can actually rebuild reef ecosystems without producing a huge amount of CO2 whilst we're doing it. And we're also using byproducts from the quarrying and mining industry as our main filler material, so the main aggregates. So we're using a waste byproduct, um, which is also clean, 
to uh, to put that put back into the ocean. So we're working on about a 98% um, recycled uh, material uh, sort of consistency, which we're, we're trying to get bigger, but it's a good starting point. Wow, no, that's that's really impressive. So you're almost 100% recycled and heading towards carbon neutrality. And um, tell us a little bit about some of the applications. What are some of the early applications that reef tubes have been used for? And what are some of the um, what are some of the pilots? What are some of the future applications that you see? Yeah, so we've we've designed reef cubes for a wide range of applications. Um, we've deployed them as an eco mooring to hold dive support vessels during surveys. We've deployed reef cubes under aquaculture farms to improve ecosystem services around the farm, um, where you would often get excess feed or um, excess nutrients. What we see is that the by putting down a hard substrate, we encourage a large variety of um, ecosystem services. So you've got natural oysters, um, filter feeders, scavengers. So what you're doing is you're creating a more diverse ecosystem, which means that you're gonna process all those waste materials a lot quicker. So you're not gonna get any stagnant pockets. They also act as an anti-trawling device. So um, can prevent bottom trawling happening in certain marine protected areas by acting as a physical barrier. Um, and one of the most exciting um, opportunities that we're pursuing is as scour protection cable protection, um, which is mainly around offshore energy sites, mainly renewable energy sites. So where you have a, a subsea cable running along the seabed, they're often uh, rock dumped. So basically a load of rocks dumped on them or plastic bags filled with rocks or concrete mattresses laced with plastic rope. And that's mainly to protect them from, uh, from anchors and trawlers. Um, what we'd like to see is that for every cable, every turbine that's placed in the water, we can have reef cubes around them, which protects the asset for the developer but it also gives something back to the marine ecosystem. There's also stuff like ecotourism, mangrove restoration, coral transplantation. What we find is that a buying customer and the business model is still a little bit unclear for those uses yet. Um, what we're trying to do is scale to make as much of an impact as possible. And we see the offshore energy transition as the, 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 the perfect catalyst for us to get into reef restoration. Fantastic. So obviously offshore energy is, a, is an emerging and growing space. So you see that as being quite attractive. And I suppose it also aligns with the mission of uh, Arc Marine as well. The, the, the impact, the positive helping a, another um, ocean impact industry, if you like, have a positive, uh, have a positive impact. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the ocean is the biggest carbon sink. So if we can save the CO2 going in the atmosphere, either by using our, our Portland cement replacement or by limiting the amount of oil and gas that's produced, then the way we see it is we're saving that carbon going into the ocean, which I think is 90% of the carbon goes into the ocean. So it's all connected. It's all it's all helping each other. And, you know, it's it's never been done where we've had this coordinated effort across the globe building in the ocean. So let's just maximize the benefit for the environment as well as, well as uh, mankind. Absolutely. So Tom, tell us, that's a little bit about Arc Marine and your solution and the, um, the applications and so forth. I'm interested in a little bit of your story. So what's the, and possibly uh, James as well, where do the, where do the founders get their, their passion? Where, where's the why come from? What's the, what's a couple of minutes there um, to, you know, tell us why you're doing this, why you're motivated. Yeah, so for me personally, it was, uh, I've grown up in uh, a fishing town, one of the biggest fishing towns in England, Brixham. And uh, I, was, I was a keen uh, spear fisherman mainly, recreational scuba diver. 
we witnessed quite earlier on, I say we as in the whole team who are, who are divers, witnessed what a trawl, a trawled ocean looks like. You know, you go across a natural rocky reef, vibrant, full of life, full of commercial fish, full of rare species, uh, juvenile fish. And then you go to an area that's been trawled and it's completely devastated. It's a desert. There's nothing there. So we saw that firsthand. Um, we saw that nothing was really being done uh, and that it was going the wrong way very quickly. Fish were disappearing. And we got together to, to, to do something in a very small, isolated instance, which that idea lasted about a week before we realized, look, why are we trying to do one thing in one place? You know, let's do something on a massive scale. I met James through an online article. He was trying to buy the, the HMS Ark Royal to sink as a, as a, as a diver site. And uh, he'd previously run a dive shop. Um, he had, he'd got the bug on a diving holiday in Egypt. And uh, when we came back, we said, look, you know, let's let's think of a scalable solution, which has led to reef cubes. And quite early on, we discovered, you know, if we're going to do this, it can't be on one off projects that we see ourselves having benefit. OK, there's huge amounts of environmental impact, but it's not sustainable in terms of the economies of it. We can't rely on these one off grants, these these one off funded projects, because it's just not going to have the impact that the ocean needs or we need as a company. So we had to look for a paying customer. Um, from, from my background, you know, everyone in my family is divers. My dad's a diver. My uncle's a diver on both sides. Um, strong Navy background. So being around the sea and the ocean is, is sort of in my blood to a certain degree. And I think that's important because most people, well, everyone in the company is a diver. And I think most people that really care about the ocean spend a lot of time in it. I've, I've very rarely met someone who says they love the ocean and they're not into sailing, surfing, snorkeling, diving, or fishing. Um, you seem to you seem to if you love it you seem to spend most of your time in it and i that's what everyone at art marine really has in in common yeah i think it was um was it jacques Cousteau with that famous quote that you uh you protect what you love right and um you know you have to get out there and experience to experience it to love something so um it makes a lot of sense but but tell me tom so no, no one in art marine had a specific background in concrete or um or uh, you know, chemical engineering or anything like that to come up with the with the the concrete replacement formula. No, um, James's background is in the recycling industry, so he'd spent fourteen years in metal recycling, mainly for ferrous and non-ferrous, which is why he was looking at shipwrecks. Uh, sorry, sinking ships to be shipwrecks because he was looking in that scrap industry and, and seeing what he could use. My, my background, so James is a bit of a tinkerer. He can put something together. He was the lead inventor of reef cubes. He could make the molds, which was how we started with reef cubes. But in terms of the chemical engineering, no, no one in the company had any concrete industry experience. I think I'd worked as a laborer on a building site for about a week, <laughs> got concrete dust in my eye and thought never again. Um, and the rest of the team are mainly biologists and, and marine scientists and oceanographers. So um, very clever guys, very passionate. And what they did is they used their, their research skills and said, the problem is concrete. The, well, the problem is Portland cement. How do we replace Portland cement, but gain the same properties that we require from concrete? And for the past five years, we've just been tweaking and trialing and changing and, and, and going along this path to carbon neutrality and at the same time developing reef cubes for the uses I've mentioned. That's fantastic. I mean, it, it almost seems that, and I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but um, is it fair to say that possibly not having a background, a technical background, and starting with the problem first and foremost, 
meant that you could charge into trying to look for solutions with your eyes completely open. Yeah, I think so. And we were, we were, when we started, we were three guys in a garage and it was, um, we, we didn't have the, we didn't have the knowledge of, or that I'd say like the, the blinkered thinking that it had to be X or it had to be Y. We just thought, you know, whenever we've dived, we've come across rubbish. We've come across traffic cones. We've come across shopping trolleys. We've come across, you know, plastic. But whatever you find is when there are fridges, whenever you find something like that, there's something living in it. <laughs> so by having a chamber, by having a cavity is crucial. So we started with that idea and we really wanted to stack it and connect it. And, you know, a lot of people said in the early days, that won't say that won't stay stable on the seabed and that can't be made offshore and both those things turned out to be wrong and i think if we were if we had a background where we'd been taught a certain way that things had to be we wouldn't have done something as simple as reef cubes because it is very simple when you think about it it's a stackable cube with a hollow chamber um but it really really works really well so yeah i think coming from outside the industry really really helped definitely I love it. I love this. I love the story. It really speaks to everything that we believe in at Ocean Impact Organization, that people that are passionate about something, that's your starting point. You can go out and find the technical expertise you need. You can go out and find those specific partners that you need in a space, but you cannot replace that driving passion at the top level to try and solve a, solve a problem. And it certainly seems that, that that's the way you guys have gone about it. So that's fantastic. Mate, let's spend uh, let's spend a little bit of time talking about the journey. So, um, when did you say Arc Marine officially commenced? Sixteenth uh, of June, two thousand and fifteen. Two thousand and fifteen, and was it in the sort of idea phase and discussion phase for a couple of years before that? Yeah. So, me and James met um, late 2014, uh, early, um, 2015. And we were originally called the reef project. So the plan was to build reefs. Let's call it the reef project. It's about a global reef project. And, um, over time it, we didn't know whether we wanted to be reef consultants or reef builders. So we thought ARC Marine artificial reef consultants, artificial reef, um, construction. We didn't know which one, so we thought we'll go with Marine. And a friend of mine kept on saying, hey, "How's the Ark project going? How's the Ark?" Is in Noah's Ark. He kept on referring it to Noah's Ark. So we thought, "Well, drop the K, put a C, artificial reef construction. Yeah, stick a Marine on it because anything in the marine industry has Marine at the end. So Ark Marine." And uh, we quickly realised we're not trying to we're not trying to build artificial reefs per se. We're trying to accelerate the regeneration of reefs. So accelerating reef creation is really how it came about. And the reef project was said one thing, but then there was the monitoring that we wanted to do and the reef stewardship. So Arc Marine ended up taking over the reef project, although we build reef projects. Awesome. And so since then, talk us through some of, and um, not necessarily specific to the problem you're solving, but you know, what are some of the startup challenges that you've faced and what are some of you know at the same time what are some of the key milestones you've achieved i think the challenges in the very early days which i think everyone can relate to is running 
starting a business and having a job at the same time because normally that business can't pay you. It, Art Marine didn't pay anyone for two years. So two thousand and two and a half years. So until we got our first seed round, um, we were really relying on working a full-time job and then starting Art Marine in the evenings and the weekends. And all our personal money went into it to, to, to do the pilots, to do the early stage prototypes. I think that's the hardest thing because when do you let go of your day job to focus on the plan and the vision so that took a long time and um you know very stressful on everyone especially people that had families because you're not making any money it's a huge risk i think that was the hardest thing it still is now it's still not it's still not easy um, um and i think where we're going now is we're, we're raising we're raising money we're always raising money and i think that's going to be our next biggest challenge is how do we grow without having to dilute too much of the company how how to how not to give away too much because everyone's put their sweat and blood into it for the past five years and um how do you grow a company to make an impact in the environment and to be sustainable in terms of financial financial returns that's that's the massive trade-off we've got between all of us yeah, I've spoken to quite a few people about this and in, even in my own experience, it's quite the conundrum, isn't it? You've got your day job or something part-time that's paying the bills and on the side, you're looking at this side venture and then it starts to pick up momentum and particularly in the impact space where you're really passionate about it, all you want to do is work on that. And so you end up not having enough time to work on it. It's not paying you anything and at the same time, you become quite a poor employee for your day job because you're just not really motivated uh, as you should be you just you just want to get to that side project and and then of course everyone can relate to the family pressure and, and so forth about um yeah we're almost there we're almost there we're almost there so look it's great that you've stuck it out i mean you've um you've got to this point now um you've you've gone through sustainable ocean alliance and the catapult accelerator program is that right um tell yeah, us a little yeah. bit about those and and some of the key milestones so what what have you know, you've got some pilot projects that you've um, that you've done. Um, you know, tell us about what you what makes you most proud. Yeah, so Catapult Ocean was great because they they were the 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 cherry on the top for our seed round. So they closed our seed round really, which was really exciting. That was a big milestone for the company. Um, it gave us a lot of kudos in the industry. People took us seriously, uh, and it gave us it gave us the budget to go and pursue contracts throughout Europe, which we couldn't have done before because, you know, pre-COVID, you, you know, people didn't really take you seriously unless you turned up face to face and gave a presentation, you know, giving something, giving a presentation as an SME or a startup via the, uh, the internet wasn't really a thing. It wasn't for me anyway. Everyone wanted to see you face to face, see how genuine you are and how capable you are. So that budget was, was ideal and it, it gave us the, the capability to deliver our pilots. So we've got pilots in aquaculture, um, which is the projects down in Torbay. We've just had further funding for that to extend it for another six months. We have pilots in offshore wind where we won a wind, in, a wind innovation competition uh, back in November 2019. And that's part of the Rich North Sea project or, or Director North Sea, which is basically the eco enhancement around offshore wind farms in Holland. Um, we've got two reef cube clusters being deployed uh, Q1 of next year and we have a further 12 clusters weighing 
about 60 ton um so a lot of a lot of material going down um in may next year as well so that will be the largest reef enhancement around an offshore wind farm in europe which is really exciting that's specifically targeting the restoration of sharks cephalopods so octopus squid cuttlefish and stingrays so really cool um we've also just starting to look at some coastal defense projects. We had a, an early pilot with the University of Plymouth where we cast five blocks, um, intertidal zone blocks, which were very successful. Uh, and we're also working on some mangrove experiments in our research tanks. So we've got a premises at Brixham Laboratory, um, which has saltwater um, feed systems. So we're, we're experimenting with some designs to how we can repopulate mangrove forests. Um, and we're looking at as, as far as Belize and Fiji for projects with that. Awesome. That wasn't. Did you say Brixton or Brixham? Oh, Brix. Yeah, sorry. We've got a laboratory in Brix Brixham. Yeah, Brixham, not Brixton. Right. Not Brixton. Okay, that would be an odd place for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mate. That's great. Um, tell us uh, a little bit about the road ahead. So, what's the next twelve to twenty-four months look like? What are your priorities? Um, where do you hope the company to be during that time or at the end of that time? So for the next 12 months, we've got to finish these pilots. Um, they're not like, it's not like the, the tech industry or the software industry where you can run a pilot for two or three months. Yes, it's great. It works. Brilliant. Um, what we're building takes a huge amount of time, which you can understand working in the marine space to have marine growth, to prove there's nothing negative, to prove the positive effects can sometimes take years, seasons. But we have got pilots that have been running since 2019 and should finish in 2021. So that would be really exciting to get the first sets of data. So the science team are publishing some reports to the wider scientific community. Um, that will be within the next 12 months. Um, from that, we're going to be scaling up. So hopefully in Q4 of 2021, we'll be doing a Series A round, um, raising between 5 and $10 million US dollars. Uh, and that's to really take the company global. Um, we would have completed our technology readiness level. So hopefully reef cubes will be at TRL 8, touching 9. Um, and we'll be outrolling reef cubes across most of the, the offshore wind developments that are that are coming up. TRL, just explain to the listeners yes. what that is. So we came across TRL. I, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. I don't. I'm just repeating what I've been told. But <laughs> TRL is technology readiness level. And it was, I think it was designed by NASA, which basically... Um, one is concept idea uh, and nine is complete. So we're at about TRL six, seven. So we've been demonstrated in a relevant space, but we haven't been demonstrated in a live space. So for instance, we've deployed reef cubes in the ocean. They've grown marine life, but we haven't deployed them around a live wind farm yet. That's happening as we speak. We've secured the contract and they should be deployed in Q1 next year. Got you. So when you talk about these pilot projects and, and they run for typically how long are they running for? I, mean, I suppose it depends on what the application is, but are we talking six to 12 months longer in some I, cases? I would say minimum 12 months. You need to get four seasons under your belt um, to see how they react in the water. Um, I, ideally, I think five years is sort of expected as your main, before you can say the ecosystem is fully developed. So I don't think you can judge an artificial reef until year five. Um, and then you can say, you know, th this is what's been growing on it. This is this is the outcome. This is the the impact from that reef. 
Gotcha. And, and is that the main metric that's being assessed um, with these with these pilots, the growth? I mean, obviously, you know, you're probably looking at stability and is it still there and holding up during that time? But, you know, what are the what are the other factors, if there are any? Yeah, it's a really good point. So um, particularly in the offshore wind pilots, we're looking at stability, hydrodynamic stability, how it's protecting the offshore asset from sediment transport. So how is it keeping the sediment stable at the base of the turbine? So that's going to be using uh, bathymetric surveys, using uh, unmanned surface uh, vessels to actually take a multi-beam sonar of the area and see how big the sediment um, dips are. We're also looking at deployment methodologies. So one thing we realized when building reef cubes is the actual material cost of reef cubes is relatively cheap. It's cost-effective material. That's why concrete is so widely used. The really expensive bit is the deployment vessels. Some of these vessels charter out at 250,000 euros a day. So if you want to build a huge amount of reef, you need to have something that can be deployed as quickly and efficiently as possible, because otherwise you'll be spending money on the charter rather than the material going down. And that was a huge challenge that we saw. We were just we were unaware of the colossal figures mentioned. So one thing we're doing as part of this pilot is we're saying, well, how do we create reef cubes to be so robust that they can survive being deployed on a mass scale really quickly. So basically shot off the side of a vessel, effectively, without breaking, without damaging the seabed. But how do we get these onto the seabed as quickly and efficiently as possible? And that, that's, a big, that's a big package of work. And we're just speaking to some of the biggest deployment contractors in the world, you know, who build massive, massive infrastructures, you know, land reclamation projects uh, and stuff like that. So they're, they're the right people to take on that challenge. And we'll be working with them to say, you know, how do we how do we go about that? How do we load them as, as quickly as possible? There's a huge gap there where, you know, Marine had deployed 100 reef cubes, which was a massive milestone for us. We're now talking about deploying 40,000 around a wind farm. And it's this scale, you know, 15,000 tons worth of material going out to sea a day. There's just this massive disconnect um, and a lot of unknowns. So that's a, it's a good point. You know, the, the marine life is one thing, but scalability is, is how do we make two reef cubes a minute instead of two reef cubes a day? And it's those type of questions that we're going to be answering over the next 12 months of prior to our Series A. Awesome. And in terms of the marine life, I mean, what have you been seeing so far? There Are, are there any particular um, critters that, that tend to like the uh, reef cubes more than others? A huge amount of commercial fish stocks, which is encouraging for more, more you know, obviously there is that benefit to the, um, the economy, but they're also the most hard hit. Um, so edible crabs, spider crabs, lobsters, cuttlefish, um, they are the, they are always, every time we survey the reef, there is always those species on there. We started seeing shellfish, um, bass, mullet, wrasse. Um, which is encouraging and sessile organisms. So we're starting to see um, sea squirts, starfish and enemies. We've had shark eggs lay on them, cuttlefish eggs, squid eggs. So we're seeing a huge amount of biodiversity for the relative, relatively small trials that we're doing. One thing that we've realized is, you know, to make an impact, we do need thousands and thousands and thousands of these cubes down. And I think what will be really exciting as part of our, our next pilot in offshore wind is that we're looking at a scale that hasn't been done before. So, um, and it's also in one of the largest areas in the UK for lobster fishing. So uh, it's all about that stakeholder management in terms of, you know, making sure everyone has a benefit from what's been built in the ocean as well as the marine environment. Mm. 
Yeah, that's key. Social license is always is always key when it comes into the natural world and particularly the ocean space. Um, let's uh, we're getting sort of close to to wrapping up, but there's a couple of things I'd like to 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 get to before we do that. Um, so we have quite a few budding ocean impact entrepreneurs, people that would that are on the, at the start of their journey or or looking. Um, looking to embark on their own story, their own journey. What are one or two key learnings that you might like to share with them? Maybe some maybe some hard-learned lessons or um, something that can save people a little bit of time. Um, I, would, I would definitely say one of the strengths of Art Marine as the group is the ability to be flexible and change the path, but keep the goal the same. So our goal was always to restore marine ecosystems. That was it, to accelerate reef creation. That was the goal. How we got there, we thought we were going to do it by government contracts. We thought we were going to do it by charitable donations. We thought we were going to do that with philanthropic investors. And it turns out we ended up being an offshore wind energy, in in, in the offshore wind energy supply chain. And that's one element of Art Marine. But I think if we'd held out for... The government investment, Art Marine wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have got money. We wouldn't have had traction because you know, every government tells us there isn't a budget yet. We don't have the funding to fund these type of projects. We needed a commercially paying client. And I think if we had stuck to our guns, then we wouldn't have got the traction we've got. So I would say keep the goal the same, but just be prepared to change the path because the path is never going to be what you think it was, you know, I, I naively said to my partner, I'm going to set up a business. It will take me six months and then I'll come back to London. And like five years on, I'm not back in London. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's, um, that's just part of it. And, you know, you have to really, you have to adapt. You have to be flexible. You have to change. If you're not going to do that, I, I think the, the challenges and the unknowns that come across you will, if you don't change, then you're just going to hit a brick wall. Um, sure. I think that's the biggest one. So have a big vision, be agile, know your customer yeah exactly yeah exactly and, and be, prepared, be prepared to change the cost to change the customer as well you know we were building reefs for divers and and marine conservationists we weren't building reefs for an offshore wind developer what an offshore wind developer really wants is to protect their asset it, and, and and have it as cheap as possible if you can lower the decommissioning costs you can give them a really good uh pr image and and actually some of them really do want to make a difference then you're on onto a winner. But, you know, we didn't know our client at the time. We weren't looking at them as a client and we were building something for the market that the market didn't have a market, didn't have a customer for. The governments weren't buying. Offshore wind, offshore wind farmers are. So we had to tweak the product for them. Yeah, that's a really good point, right? So quite often some pe- someone will be targeting, and you guys were a good example, right? You're targeting impact first and foremost, but essentially what you're saying is that you can achieve more impact by actually talking to customers from a cost perspective, first and foremost. How- yeah. And, 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 you know, the, it's funny because they're not in the business to build reefs, but they may end up being the biggest builder of reefs ever. Now, when you think of that, it's like, how is that possible? How is someone who is their primary goal is to generate offshore wind is going to become one of the biggest creators of reef systems in the world. I mean, it, 
it's you know and and if we if we didn't we didn't know that when we got into this project we didn't know that but the fact that we were willing to to change the product to to fit them meant that we are now going to make the most impact whereas if we were just sat here knocking on government's doors especially during a pandemic you know what mm-hmm. government is going to have money for for this type of stuff now it's seen as uh, it's seen as a nice to have rather than a necessity you know fair play you know climate change has got a big voice at the moment but it, it wasn't like that when we started the company we we had to pivot basically and and I, i'd say that's what every startup has to be prepared to do i often marvel at how many aha moments come about from just slightly looking at something from a a, a a little bit of a different direction. So to your point there around, you know, offshore wind farms becoming the biggest reef creators. I mean, it's just, it's ba- it's really basic and simple when you think about it, but you just don't have, you need to flip your thinking to be open to exploring that concept. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, um, we are going to wrap it up in a moment. One last thing, though, how can how can our listeners support your journey? You mentioned earlier um, raising money in Q1 next year. Um, is there somewhere that people can go to follow your journey? Is there somewhere that investors can go to to find out more or, or be made aware of, you know, when that round begins? Um, take a moment to, to give yourself an unashamed uh, plug <laughs> yeah, so we're we've got a, a good following on LinkedIn. Um, it's one of the the main social media platforms that we use. So we post weekly updates on what we're finding on Reef Cubes, and if anyone is speaking for Art Marine or there's any presentations we're giving, and and any key milestone updates are often put onto our website. So I would definitely check out our website www.artmarine.co.uk. Uh, follow the Art Marine page on LinkedIn or myself, Tom Burbeck. Uh, I often I often post. Uh, we are looking to do a raise and we're also always looking to speak to investors, potential collaborators on any projects that you think might be might be relevant to us. So please get in touch at hello at artmarine.co.uk if you think of anything. Um, but yeah, please follow us on, on Instagram, artmarine. Uh, anything anything you think might be of relevance or if you'd like to stay in touch, please get in touch and I can, I can keep you updated in a, a newsletter loop. Excellent, excellent. Well, Tom, thank you so much for um, for sharing your story today. Um, I think that was great. I hope uh, our listeners got got a lot out of it. I certainly did. And um, all the best for the future. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks, Tom. Cheers.